You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey everybody, it's David Bloom. I am back with another episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm so glad you could join me. I want to give thanks again to my sponsors and also encourage you guys to check them out if you haven't already. Wanted to start uh, this week, I'm talking a little bit about Netflix, which had a great night last night at the Golden Globes as five awards came to programs that it owns, including two for Roma, the wonderful new film from Alfonso Cuaron, the great Oscar-winning director, and three more for some of its uh, episodic series. Netflix said a lot about its future this past uh, holiday season, really about a three-week period. It had a whole bunch of news coming out. Uh, They debuted new kinds of programs, its biggest ever hit, and a new minder for its ever-so-complicated bottom line. The changes come just ahead of new streaming video competition from Apple, Disney, Walmart, and Warner Media. Netflix is going to have to evolve quickly to stay ahead of those deep-pocketed future competitors, all of whom will be bringing out new shows, new services in the next 10, 11, 12 months, all of whom will make it more complicated, more expensive, more interesting for streaming consumers to figure out where they're going to see shows, how much they want to pay for them, whether they want to have multiple services in line. Now, if you thought the cable business was a pain in the rear, just wait. But in all of that, Netflix needs to continue spending, needs to continue creating, and it needs to continue evolving. To its credit, it's doing all of that, I think, right now. And this last few weeks has been a really good example of what they've got going on. To start with, let's talk about Bird Box. It was an unconventional horror film whose tremendous cast is led by Oscar winner Sandra Bullock. It did so well that for once, Netflix actually talked about how many people watched. They never do this. In the week after the movie's December 21st streaming debut, 45 million subscribers, nearly a third of Netflix's 137 million total base, watched the movie, according to Netflix. That's an astonishing number, really, one of the best debuts of any kind of entertainment title in 2018 and and the best in Netflix history. For comparison, the previous most-watched Netflix original feature debuted a year ago, the sci-fi buddy cop movie Bright, which starred Will Smith and Joel Egerton and was directed by David Ayer, a well-respected director. That film, whose sequel has been ordered already, was viewed by 11 million people in its first three days, Netflix said back then. It's impossible to know how many people, actual humans, viewed Bird Box through each Netflix subscription, but it almost certainly averaged more than one person per account. If that average viewer multiple was even two people per account, say, that would translate at the $9 or so average price for a U.S. movie ticket to an opening week box office, uh, for want of a better term, of around $810 million. Now, admittedly, this is not a clean comparison. You know, people that are going to theaters are different than people plunking in front of their home TV screen with their family during the holiday season and uh, cuddling up with hot cocoa and uh, and popcorn at home on a on a big screen at home. They're not necessarily going to go out five or ten or whatever people to to watch. So it's a different. It's not a, it's not a clean comparison. I freely admit. But it tries. To, I'm trying to give you a little bit of a perspective here. Whatever it was. 
we know that it was one of the biggest entertainment releases of the year. For comparison, the biggest 2018 theatrical release, Disney's Avengers Infinity War, grossed $338 million in its first week. It went on to bring in more than $2 billion worldwide, and that's just in theaters. The year's best opening weekend, though, had to go to the $750 million gathered in by video game Red Dead Redemption 2 from Rockstar Games. Now, again, not a clean comparison, just trying to give you some ideas of scale here. So if you had that kind of audience watching the Netflix stuff, it's, it's a pretty big audience. Like those blockbusters, Bird Box has enjoyed genuine cultural crossover, too. It even fueled an ill-advised internet meme, the Bird Box Challenge, where participants perform various tasks while blindfolded. This new way for bored teens to injure or extinguish themselves even spurred a cautionary Netflix tweet to try to protect people from themselves in what has definitely become a genuine cultural phenomenon. Bird Box is interesting in other ways, too. Unlike Bright, Bird Box actually received a brief theatrical run before its online debut, part of Netflix's modest awards season accommodation for its contenders, which included Alfonso Cuaron's Roma and the Coen Brothers' The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Theatrical distribution of the three films marked the first time Netflix has modified its usual simultaneous release of films online and in a few theaters. The strategy shift was an attempt to placate those Hollywood heavy hitters with legitimate Oscar ambitions, grab additional media buzz and perhaps the attention of some Oscar voters, and as well bring in some awards credibility, all while not straying too far from its usual approach. It definitely paid off at the Golden Globes, where Roma and Cuaron each won Golden Globes for Best Director and Best Foreign Film, and almost certainly would have been at least nominated for Best Drama, but uh, under the inexplicable Golden Globes rules, because the film was recorded wholly in Spanish and Mistec languages, it wasn't uh, eligible for that big prize. It went instead to a much slighter film, The Green Book, which is a nice film, but not anywhere near the achievement in many, many ways that Cuaron has uh, created with Roma. A genre of films such as Bird Box wouldn't seem to be in the same class as Roma, or for that matter, Buster Scruggs, which is uh, quite fun, if not quite a series of films. It's beautifully shot and very entertaining in many ways, and rather dark in that sardonic, mordant, classic Coen Brothers way. But Danish-born Susan Bier is very much a star director on the level of Quaron and the Coens. She already has directed one Oscar winner in A Better World and another Oscar nominee after the wedding. Both were up for Best Foreign Language Film from her native Denmark. She also won an Emmy directing the sublime limited-run series uh, The Night Manager, which I strongly recommend. I think it's on Amazon these days, but I'm not sure. I strongly, strongly recommend finding that. Uh, it's uh, like a James Bond-quality film stretched over six episodes with, uh, based on a John Le Carre novel and extraordinarily well done. All that work makes Bier just the kind of international talent Netflix must keep attracting as it builds projects that can play well overseas, where most of its future, future growth will come. So perhaps Netflix uh, has a new formula for breakout projects. Prominent cast featuring uh, internationally known stars, top director possibly from another country, a genre-mixing storyline, 
and uh, extra buzz from semi-traditional theatrical release equals big hit. Bright had many of those factors with Will Smith and David Ayer's participation, but Bird Box really hit it out of the park. I suspect we'll see this formula repeated uh, down the line, possibly becoming a tradition in terms of how they handle prominent films in award season and around the holidays. But it wasn't just Bird Box and Roma that made a splash this holiday season. The company also debuted Black Mirror Bandersnatch, the first feature-length episode of its acclaimed science fiction anthology series. What really made Bandersnatch different, however, was its interactive component. Depending on a viewer's choices, they might see any of five main endings to the show with lots of little variations along the way, depending on various forks in the narrative tree. As with Bird Box, the project generated a lot of crossover conversation and more than a few grumpy reviews. But the key is the possibilities unlocked by interactive entertainments. Now, branching choose-your-own-adventure storylines have been around for decades, at least since the 70s, even going back to books where you would choose, you know, this one or this one. You'd go to this page versus that page, and you would, the story would unfold. It was part of early computer games and many games since then. Companies such as BioWare have done great work with in, in, wonderfully complicated storylines over uh, in series like Knights of the Old Republic and Mass Effect and Dragon Age. And scripts for these huge undertakings can run hundreds and hundreds of pages compared to maybe 80 to 120 pages for a traditional movie. But Bandersnatch's interactive component was, I think, the first time that viewers of a big name-brand TV franchise had the chance to steer their stories unfolding. It was really only possible, of course, on a platform like most of uh, Netflix's offerings that is fully interactive, that allows you the chance to uh, weigh in on which way the story's going to go. But as new technologies like ATSC 3.0 and 5G as well as um, increasingly powerful home streaming devices continue to develop. I think we'll see more and more of these opportunities as we see more blurring of the line between interactive game and traditional lean-back television. We'll almost certainly see further, perhaps more critically acclaimed productions, all the while generating all kinds of really useful data to help shape what shows Netflix makes next. We'll know more about the kinds of stories people like and the directions they want to go. Uh, Netflix will probably double down with some of that data because they're so data-driven to begin with. But possibly, we'll also see some other things beyond just a blurring of games and TV. Such interactive adventures could easily become a new revenue source, too, through super-powered product placement and e-commerce. With interactivity and all that new data comes the ability to layer in products, product information, and ways to buy. You can bet Amazon is figuring out how to tie its billions of dollars worth of programming into that huge backbone that it has for uh, internet delivery of services of many kinds and its incredible e-commerce operations. I got to think Disney, Apple, probably even Warner Media are thinking about this too. Just look at the way they push out beyond their stories into merchandise and live events and super fan experiences of many kinds. Now, 
Now, speaking of Apple, Netflix is joining a small but notable group of prominent online companies, saving money by no longer allowing subscription purchases or renewals through their apps on the App Store and Google's Android Store. Netflix may save as much as $500 million this year in Apple fees by ending those in-app subscription payments, Sensor Tower estimated. It's also getting out of the Android Store payments, though I haven't seen an estimate for the fees saved there. That said, they were enough that another big app, hit video game Fortnite, opted to forego the Android Store completely when it launched back in August on that platform. Instead, it signed a short-term exclusive distribution deal with Samsung's store. Netflix is one of the relatively few big sites that can afford to dodge the Apple and Android fees, but it certainly won't be the last as more companies move to reclaim as much revenue as they can from the aggregators. But Netflix has, I think, particular need to reclaim a half a billion a year, don't we all, really? All of this brings us to the announcement this week that it had hired Spencer Newman, as its new chief financial officer. Newman has been CFO at gaming giant Activision Blizzard since 2017. Activision didn't take kindly to the poaching, filing notice before Newman departed that it planned to fire him for violating contract provisions over basically keeping him from shopping around before the last six months of his contract with the company. But no matter, Newman left, went to work for Netflix, and brings useful background as Netflix tries to diversify its revenue make a profit in a bear stock market, and reduce its reliance on junk bonds to finance its vast content spending. At Activision, Newman would have seen how the dynamic game business is pushing into esports, virtual and augmented reality, merchandise, live events, and more. And just take a look at Bandersnatch and the possibilities we already talked about. And in his previous role as CFO and Executive Vice President for Global Guest Experience at Disney's Theme Park Unit, Newman would have seen the machine behind the Disney magic that extracts billions of dollars from its superfans. I think those superfans and how Netflix builds its relationships with them will be key as it goes forward and tries to get to a more stable, sustainable place. Netflix needs to extend the, the fan experience, particularly for those superfans, to generate more money and build closer relationships with its best subscribers. It won't be easy. Newman will be overseeing company finances amid a stock market considerably less enamored of tech darlings like Netflix than a year ago. Netflix shares have yo-yoed wildly the past year from a low of 206 per share to a high of 423. As of today, the shares were up notably about 17 bucks, almost $18 to 315 Newman has plenty of challenges, but at least Netflix isn't standing pat, as was evident in this very merry holiday season for the company, with all kinds of news and changes. Anyway, that's my, uh, that's my piece this week. I hope you all enjoy it. I'd love to hear what you think about where Netflix is going and whether it's well-positioned still for the onslaught of competition that's arriving this year. Please make sure and uh, send me a note if you have any thoughts. Share this podcast if you're so disposed. I, uh, I'm fascinated to see what Netflix does and how the streaming business shapes up uh, between now and maybe this time next year. It'll be a transition. It'll be a, a year of fundamental change and worth talking about quite a bit. I suspect. Until we meet again, I take care of yourself. Have a great new year. This is David Bloom for Bloom in Tech.
over and out. You've been listening to Bloom in Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone. Thank you.